This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. When it comes to reading the Bible, lots of people have different ways of doing things. And, and recently, Pastor Trevor has been talking about being like a machine gun and just trying to fast read everything. You know, and and um, five or a good five years ago, I've never I thought. I've never read the Bible from cover to cover. I've read lots of different pieces. I've read the New Testament. Because um, often when I get to some Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I think, uh-uh, you know, and just want to move on to something really exciting, you know, like David and Goliath. And yeah, come on. And I, and I thought, look, I, what I want to do is go on a journey and read the Bible from cover to cover, but not just read for the sake of reading it. Um, and, and often I would just choose a book and read it and say, God, speak to me in it. And so... Five or six years ago, I, I made a decision that I want to read it, but I'm going to take my time. I want to absorb it. And, and it's taken me this long just to get to Romans. So if you've got a, a mathematician going, gee, you're a slow reader. But, and I got to Romans, I was very excited because I like Romans 8. Got lots of good stuff in there. You know, it talks about purpose and destiny and calling and, you know, how we're loved. And I wanted to get to that part and I couldn't wait. And, and so I read through it and got to ch- chapter 8 and then God said to me, I want you to go back to chapter 3. Uh, you know, and so I've been stuck going through chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5 because there was so much in Romans. You know, because um, uh, you know, we all like the warm and the fuzzies and, 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 and then you know, the, the, the nice stuff. But Romans is a good book to read because it's a, it's a real mixture of facts of the gospel and, and, and man's need of God. There is so much in Romans about the law and about freedom and you know that we are saved and, and it, it brings good news of the salvation you know, for, for all. It doesn't matter who you are, what, what, what's going on, what your background is, the person's sin. It talks about grace, you know, that we, we have this undeserved favour of grace through the faith in Christ Jesus. And, and it talks about his finished work then it goes on to talking about how you know through him we can be justified. We're not guilty, and and so it's quite a big book to to uh, you know to, to to digest. You know, and so with all those sort of things established, Paul moves on to a freedom that comes from being saved, a freedom from the power of sin, freedom from the oppression of the Jewish law, and freedom to discover God's limitless love. And so this key verse in Romans. Um, if you've got study Bibles, we'll always point out a key verse, and that's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. But verse 2, I really like verse 2, because it says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and, and, and we, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And so there's a lot in Romans, lots to digest. And so as part of um, my, my reading habit of the Bible is to sit, and sometimes I'll sit on something for a, for a week, which is why it's taking me so long uh, to get to Romans. Sometimes too, I get caught up with, you know, the, the Bible app and, you know, how they had the daily readings, that speaks to me. So I'll sit and chew on that for a day, you know, and sort of park Romans, um, and so, but there's a lot in it. And so lately, um, in recent times, as I've been reading about Romans, there's been, you know, 
passages about, um, and, and, and sorry, there's been messages about sin. Pastor Trevor talked about sin and how he doesn't like talking about it, and, and that's been on my mind um, as I've been reading Romans. And so that's what I want to share about today. What should our attitude be towards sin? I don't, I don't want to get caught up in talking about sin itself, but what should our attitude be towards it as a Christian? Because, and I'm cautious and very scared about talking about this and was quite glad when last time I was rostered to preach we had Kate Catlin from Destiny Child come and speak because that was my week and I thought, yeah, come on God, you're good because I didn't want to talk about this and was hoping he'd give me something else but that didn't work out. <laughs> because I get scared because I know when you talk about something from here, you get tested in it and I learned that a hard way. Very early on in my ministry, I was asked to preach and got talking about something that I had no idea about, and did I get hammered with it? By God, to say you cannot talk about things that you're not familiar with yourself. You know, and so it's a lesson. So I'm a bit scared because you know, um, here we are, you know, talking about something that none of us have mastered. To be truthful, because so I'm, I'm quite. Grateful for passages like Romans 3.23 where it says, you know, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So I'm thankful for that because I can confidently stand here and go, well, you know what, I'm no better. (laughs) Sin means to miss the mark, to be mistaken, or to wander from the path of righteousness. The Greek word for it, and uh, I will attempt it, I don't know if I'll get it right, but is hamateia. Repent means to change one's mind, to change direction, or to think and act differently. So to, to repent, it means to I'm changing my mind. I don't want to go this way. I'm going to change direction. Or I'm, going to go, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so we have all made choices that haven't honoured God. And when it comes to sin... What should our attitude be? Do we have the mindset that, you know, we can never be forgiven, how bad we are, you know, how could God ever forgive me? Or do we take the stance that, you know, well, I'm a righteous person. I'm in relationship with Jesus. He's my best friend, right? So there's no drama. There's no problem. What's all the drama? So one has the attitude of, you know, woe is me, and we have this lowly sort of mindset, and the other is like an expression that I've shared before in another message, like, I drink juice, you know, where we sort of hold our head back, you know, if I had hair, it would sort of flip, but, you know, I drink juice, mmm, raspberry, and what's something that's really disgusting? <laughs> I can't think of the top of my head. <laughs> Leek. Oh, yummy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I actually have a confession. I went to get a coffee from this coffee shop that I'd never been to before. One of my colleagues said, yeah, it's really awesome. And, and, I, and I walk down there going, yeah, I'll try one of their coffees. I'll be adventurous because I'm, I'm a person of habit. I put my hand on the door. I look at the person. And I made a judgment. You know, they look this bohemian hippie type. And I said, oh, great. I bet it's going to be one of those organic green bean things, you know. These people take all the fun out of food. And she looked at me. I looked at her. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to get hit with yuppie tax too with it. So then I put my hand like that and walked past the window. <laughs> walked away. The trouble is, the person knew me, and so now I'm going to go back. <laughs> you know, so there's a sort of righteousness, this, this, this pride that sort of that, that, that comes. 
And, and I don't think either of these attitudes are what God wants us to have. And so for myself, I actually have been on a journey, and, it, and it's, it's been more so this year, and, and Romans has helped with this, that, that coming to a place of understanding what a, what a healthy view of sin is as a Christian. And so, um, and, and as I said, sitting in Romans helps. And so Jesus gave us this really good parable. And although this parable is, is not talking directly about sin, it does address what our attitude should be towards approaching God in prayer. Pastor Trevor spoke from um, uh, the same sort of passage as well, but just a different parable. So Luke 18, if you turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. I hope my reference is right. Parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. How these two men came to God uh, in prayer. Have you got it? Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. Yep. All right. Um, so I've actually printed out because I'm going to read from the NLT. Thank you. It says, Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so there are, there are two people in the story, two only known by their, by their occupations, and who represents really both extremes of the spectrum of the social, Jewish social life. One made their living as a Pharisee, so he was, he was at the high end of the Jewish sort of scale. He was respected by people because of the careful observer of the law that he was, which is why he stood there and you know, said, how good am I? The other man was the tax collector. He was at the low end of the spectrum from the people, despised by the way that he um, made his wealth. Money was his God, and everyone knew it. So my first point is the Pharisee. Let's have a look at the Pharisee. So if you're taking notes, point one, the Pharisee. Pharisee, although he went through the motions of prayer focused and, and boasted, he boasted more out of his achievements and how righteous he was. That was the focus of his prayer. Look at me. You know, look how good I am. And, and Jesus would often rebuke the Pharisees for that too, wouldn't he? Because he would talk about and other things and you know, where we would, you know, they would be walking around with all their things around and saying, look how good I am, I'm a righteous man. Because in those days, in those, those biblical days, you know, um, you know to, to be that man of stature, you would have to be right with God. You were walking close with God. But Jesus challenged them on that and saying, well, you're not. You're so far away from God. Now, because it's all just law. It's all just acts. So, you know, so here he was. And he goes, because here's an example. He says, I fast twice a week. I fast twice a week. I remember um, about seven years ago, 
I had this habit for a couple of years where every Friday was my day that I committed to fast and pray. And, and, and I did it, and it became, it started off with good intent, but after a couple of years, it was like, oh, it's Friday, I need to fast, I need to pray, because that's what I do on a Friday. Family, don't, I can't eat today, you know, it's not quite like that, but, you know, that's all dad, dad's fasting and praying today, you know, and, and, and then, you know, I'd be at Teen, I was working at Teen Challenge at the time, and, and it was kind of like a badge of honour. And then one day, I was in there in the chapel at Teen Challenge praying during the lunchtime and, and, um, and lots of people knew what I was doing and God said, what are you doing? I'm praying and fasting like I do every Friday. I've been doing this for two years now, God. Oh, I didn't ask you to do that. And I kind of slapped you in the face a little bit. And I just thought, you're right. Why am I doing this? And that's when he began to challenge my heart because I had moved from this good intent to where it became a badge. You know, and that didn't please God at all, so I haven't fasted since. Because prior to that, fasting to me was when there was a real need, when something was really pressed upon my heart, I'd bring it before God at the altar and say, God, I need you to intervene in this. And there was real meaning behind it. That's the intent of um, fasting and praying, is coming to God with a specific need. And I'd transferred that, because that's how it originally started, to becoming a, a good thing, that didn't please God. But like this Pharisee, and Jesus is saying to him, you know, that, that, you know, that, that it was his acts, and that's what he boasted in, didn't, didn't impress God at all. And so here he was, well, you know, I fast twice a week. He was exalting his own works. The, the, the Pharisee is revealing that his entire hope later not, not being as bad as someone else. Well, look what I can do. Look at me. You know, this is who I am. I'm not as bad as that dirty rotten scoundrel tax collector that's over there. Someone like the Pharisee have this attitude that they don't have to worry about sin because it's God's job to forgive. I don't have to worry about it. I'm forgiven. You know, I'm covered by grace. I'm covered by the blood. I don't need to do anything. It's okay. You know, God, it won't, you know, God will forgive me because that's his job. He's got to forgive me, you know, like God is so loving. He's so kind. He won't reject me. Sin isn't that bad, right? Oh, I learned something from it. It's okay. I'm good. Or, you know, some people will say, well, I'm just trying to stay in touch with today's culture. I want to be relevant so everyone can see, you know, Jesus is cool. <laughs> and so he'll understand. You know, we, we tend to make bring this, you know, sort of language in with it because we want to feel okay. Some have this this arrogance in regard to sin that it's, um, it's just far too easy to take God's grace for granted. And that can be dangerous because that's something that God doesn't want for us where we take it for granted. Some Christians, when they fall short of God's glory, they, they will blame their circumstances. They'll, they'll say, hey God, God, you know me. You know what I mean, that? It wasn't a big deal. I was just tired. I've had a hard week. I was under pressure. You know, you know that. It's okay. You know that I'm not that kind of person. You know my heart, right? And so, Jesus, you still love me. And then, then they will use scripture to defend and justify that stance. You know, and I, and I thought in preparing this, this came to me um, sort of late in the afternoon when, when I was preparing this, and, and that Adam and Eve used figs to cover themselves up and 
Some Christians will use scripture to do that, to cover up that sin. They will use scripture to defend and justify their stance. And I've got to tell you, Satan loves it when Christians do that, when they use scripture to build their case. Because he loved it. He tried it with Jesus. He tried to deceive Jesus in the desert, you know, with God's word. And why wouldn't he do it to us? Because when you read Matthew chapter 4, it says in verse 5, Then the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scripture says it will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you don't even hurt your foot on the stone. But Jesus, knowing Satan's, you know, deceitfulness and lies, responded by saying, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. So if he uses scripture against Jesus to try and get Jesus to follow him, what, what, he's going to do the same with us. To use scripture to build our stance, to make a stand there with that little bit of pride. Well, you know what? I, I go to church, I pray, listen to worship, I do everything right, so it's okay. I'm okay. Arrogance leads us to think that we cannot fall because we are covered by this infinite grace and mercy because of his endless love that he has for us. You know, as it, as it tells us, as my favorite chapter in Romans 8, you know, nothing will take you away from the love of God. And, and there's truth. That's true. These things, and that's the deceptiveness of the enemy. He loves to use truth to really try and lure us away. And so the danger, though, in this arrogance that it can lead us to believe that we are entitled to certain things. And Satan loves it that we can adapt this attitude of entitlement because it removes the need for God. You know, and, and, and we live in a society that has this entitlement and it, this is growing. Um, the work that I used to do, the clients that I had, I'd always challenge them on entitlement. You know, that they, they had this stance that, um, that they believed and had this belief system that they were entitled to have the things that, which got them into trouble. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Entitlement is the belief that one is naturally deserving of privileges or special treatment. And if Satan can convince us that we are entitled it creates the perception somehow one becomes above the law. And that's what Satan loves. That's what he likes. Isaiah, one of the kings in Judea, illustrates this arrogant mentality of one believing that he was above the law. And uh, after enjoying a period of great success and prosperity, he became arrogant and he sinned. So if you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And I was actually thinking about this guy earlier in January because I was challenged knowing his story and, 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 and within me I was like, God, I don't want to be in a place where I've experienced favor and grace to take that for granted and miss out on what you've got for my future. Because my heart is, is that for myself personally and even for my family that, that there's a positioning to be able to be filled with God's presence and favor, to be able to do his work, to be able to impact the kingdom. That's my heart's desire. And I know the story of, of King Isaiah and, and what happened to him, and so I've been pondering on this. It was about January that I was thinking, God, I don't want to be in this place where I take things for granted because I don't want to miss out on what you've got 
So I just want to read from uh, chapter 3 and then I'll skip a little bit. So chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 26, verse 3. Isaiah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. If you just skip to verse 4, he did what was right, he, sorry, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his father Amaziah had done. Isaiah sought God during the days of Zechariah who taught him to fear God and as long as the king sought guidance from the king, God gave him success. And so then you'll read just the things that he was successful in. He was a good builder. He was a good um, soldier, you know, a good uh, commander. Um, God blessed him with, with produce. I'm actually talking at Rushworth this afternoon on this on, and looking at this king and his life. But if you go to verses uh, 16 of chapter 26, we'll pick it up the story there because this is what I want to focus on. But when he became powerful... He also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Azariah, the high priest, went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. They confronted King Isaiah and said, It is not for you, Isaiah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work for the priests alone, the descendants of Aaron who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have sinned. The Lord God will not honor you for this. Verse 19, Isaiah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. But as he was standing there raging at the priest before the incense altar, the Lord's temple leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the high priest, and all the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out, and the king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. The law of Moses clearly specified that the priestly work included the burning of incense, but it was reserved for the tribe of Levi. But yet, in his arrogance, because of the prosperity and all the favor that he had, he believed that he should be able to carry out the work himself because he kind of goes, well, look, God blessed me so far. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. And he, he, he no longer saw the rule as applying to him. So he sinned. He thought he was above the law. He thought he was okay. He thought he was good with God. God blessed him so much. This arrogant attitude of entitlement is a far cry from what is commended to us in the Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is a good, uh, powerful verse. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the, by the faith God has given us. So rather than the sense of entitlement, we ought to possess the humility of that of the tax collector. So let's look at the tax collector, point two, because it's the opposite, isn't it? To, to, the humility is the opposite to, to arrogance and what we've just looked at. This is the quality that God requires of us today, isn't it? As, as James chapter 4, verse 6 says, and he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And again, in 1 Peter um, chapter 5, verse 5, where it says, and all of you dress yourselves in humility, as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Both are quoting Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, where it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So like the tax collector, we must firstly remember who we are. He knew who he was. He beat his chest. We need to remember that, that we have been made in the image of God, and yet we are but dust and will return to dust when our life is over. James chapter 4, verse 14 tells us, your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while, then it's gone. And so the, the, the tax collector was reminded of who he was. The second thing that he did was that we need to remember who God is. He is the creator, as well as our judge. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we, he is our judge. He is also the one who deserves our utmost respect. As the Hebrew writer says in chapter 10, verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The third thing, that, that, like the tax collector, we need to remember our place in the grand scheme of things. And Paul recognized that though he was an apostle equal to the others, he himself considered himself a nobody when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. No matter who we are, we are just one of the many useful members of Christ's body as we've been learning, as we've been hearing Pastor Trevor um, speak about, about us being the members of the body. We, so we need to remember who we are. If you turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, I'll read verse 4 as well. Philippians chapter 3, verse, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. If you turn to 1 Peter quickly, chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5. Nice little um, verse just tucked in there, a little gem. It says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honour. One of the things that uh, I am, have been a strong believer on um, is that God will always reward faithfulness. And sometimes we can go to God, God, when? I've been there. All of us have been at some stage. God, when? I'm not going to see that. When am I going to experience that? But, but we just need to know that in his timing, he will lift us up. So to humble yourself is to lower yourself in dignity or importance, to surrender our will, our ego to God. A humble person is lowly, modest, meek, and submissive. But when we sin, we can be like this tax collector, but we can take it to an extreme as well. I certainly have. You know, we can go to an unhealthy place. And again, this is a place that Satan himself loves it as much as someone who boasts because we get stuck in this deep rut of despair. When we sin, we obviously feel bad, as we should, because that leads us to that place. There's a conviction within the, our hearts, the Holy Spirit saying, you know, we need to repent. But there's that unhealthy, unhealthy thinking that gets attached with how can God ever forgive me for that? You know, we, you know, we purge ourselves. We beat, we beat our flesh into submission. You know, we hang our head 
from shame and we continually think that we're a failure and think, what hope is there for me? And, and, and when someone actually says, you know, how can God ever forgive me? They, they don't have that understanding of God's love and grace and mercy. That's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous. But, but you know, we also get into that place of hanging ourselves in shame because we know who we really are. No one else may, you know, because we do it be smiling. Oh, hey. But there's that sense within us of disappointment and condemnation, and then the enemy gets in there as well to, to, to you know, make us feel guilty. And, and we, we look around at others and we compare ourselves, and we, then we tend to think, oh, yeah, I'm not like them. Look at them. Look at them. Look. I wish I had what they had. They seem to be so in love with Jesus. And we compare ourselves. We hate ourselves for how we look, how we feel, what we've done, um, what's been done to us. And, and, and what we keep failing to accomplish. We constantly feel like a loser and seem to be continually to struggle and then we get angry and frustrated and then we take it out on those that are closest to us, those that, that, are, that, you know, that, we, that we love and care for and we, we get angry at them because of what's going on within us. This self-hatred, this is self-hatred, Sorry, and, and, and it can fuel self-condemnation and feed all sorts of false attempts at self-atonement, making us perform so we think that God will be pleased with us. You know, I've been there. I've, I've had these thoughts. You know, I've just, just got to pray more. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I've got to read more. You know, I've got to, I've got to read for two hours straight and get sweat coming out and blood, have blood like Jesus did through prayer. You know, maybe I need to fast more. Maybe I need to, 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 to go to church more. Maybe, And we start to perform all these things we feel we have to do because it's like, God, I know how I feel inside and I know it's not pleasing and, and I've done the wrong thing and so therefore we, we fall into performance because we want to be light. We want to be loved. We, want to, we, want to, we don't want to feel bad. We want to feel all the warm and fuzzy. We go, ooh, that feels nice. So we, the danger with that thinking that self-atonement leads us to want to perform. And that's not what God wants. It doesn't please God either. So yes, we are to be humble, but we need to be careful that we don't purge ourselves either and cause pain for ourselves, because that's not what God wants. It's not why Jesus died on the cross. So point three, God. When we sin, God is not shocked. He knows we are prone to sin. He knows we are born with a sin nature. When we mess up, he knows that we are sinners in need of redemption. And redemption means the action of saving or be saved from sin, error, or evil. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, For he knows how weak we are. He knows we were given to peer pressure, or we were given to temptation, or we want to be liked, so we fall into doing the wrong thing to be accepted. You know, the rest of this verse in Psalm 103 talks about that. Uh, it says that he remembers we are only but dust, which implies that he knows we are frail and helpless. And so too often we forget what God remembers, that we are but dust. This, this can lead to pride or self-confidence and independence and a, and a breakdown of relationship with him. Or, like a lot, can focus on God as a judge and feel condemned and become fearful. And fear does not bring change. 
It only creates performance. Fear doesn't bring change within people. It only makes them want to perform. God cannot overlook sin. It has to be dealt with. But when it comes with a repentant heart that calls out their sin, he has unlimited grace for the sinner. It comes with that humble heart and that need of forgiveness. Remember, wherever Jesus went, he had compassion for the least and the last and the lost. And so when it comes to praying and being humble before God with our sins, then there, there needs to be this mixture of desire, a desire to want to change, a hard attitude to say, I don't want to go in this direction anymore. I want to go in that direction. We need to add discipline, keeping short accounts, because pride can keep us from uninhibited confession of sin. And this, the same is true with regard to our relationship with others. It, 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 it creates this this um, un, unconfession of sin and, and, and not wanting to say anything. The Apostle Paul warns us as believers, don't let the sun go down on a sinful anger because Satan will most certainly get a foothold in our relationships when we do so. We must learn to confess quickly, is what Paul tells us. Confessing and seeking to forsake sin is one of the means of Christian growth and grace. and we So, so we need to make sure that there's that... Um, Discipline. We also need to make sure that we add delight, knowing that we are covered by grace and love because we are free from sin's control, from what the law demands and the fears of God's punishment. Then we can grow in our relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter 2, and when we read verses 1 to 10 that many would be familiar with, Paul insists that apart from Christ, that we are dead and in Christ we receive love, mercy and a new life and all of it comes as a gift the gift of grace and we cannot do anything to earn it it's what he reminds us of that there is this gift of grace given to us and we can't earn it so when you offer prayers to god with faith and thanksgiving no matter what trials you face he will assure you in a peace quickly there's there's um philippians 4 7 then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Luke 15.10, as Pastor Trevor looked at this last week, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Passion is not praying this lovely prayer or making pious sort of excuses or trying to impress God or, or anyone else. True confession is naming the sin, calling for what it is, and, and simply bringing it before God with an open and honest heart to say, I don't want this. There's a great quote that says, by walking in the light, we're able to see the dirt in our lives and deal with it immediately. Pastor Trevor spoke about the lost coin last Saturday night, I think it was last Saturday night, and he was talking about how you know the woman sweat to look for the coin, and and as I knew and preparing for this message, you know I really felt too. She was sweeping all the dirt, you know, in the house as well. And when we, and searching for something, we and the sweeping, we collect all the dirt in our life so we can get rid of it. Psalm um, thirty-two verse five says, "Finally, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt." I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and he forgave me. All my guilt is gone. 
in this parable of Jesus, he was speaking to a Pharisee, challenging them on their, their hard attitude. And, there was, and, and we can see that there's two different attitudes in this parable that Jesus shared. One saw prayer and salvation as a simple discipline to endure, a work to perform. The tax collector saw prayer as desperation, a place to turn when all other options have been exhausted. And so, like everything, I have come to a place to learn that there's a balance. The Pharisee stood with confidence in his works and status. And we can stand with a confidence that we are forgiven. Because 1 John 1 9 tells us if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness or all unrighteousness. But this doesn't mean that we stand with any pride or arrogance to say, you know, look at me. You know, I'm a child of God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. You know, I'm covered by grace. And stand there with our chest puffed out. We can stand with confidence, but we also must have the humility, like the tax collector, of regularly confessing our sin, remembering who we are before God. But we need to be careful because God doesn't want us to enter into any self-loathing either because that's not walking in the freedom God provides for us. And I've learned, and through my own journey, because I've done all, you know, tried to stand there, and there's been time, more times beating myself up. And, and God, I'm not holding on to the power of God's word. And God has said, this is not what I've got for your life. You are free. But what I want is that humility of heart that comes and acknowledges it, calls it out, be able to walk away knowing that you're free. As long as our heart is one of repentance that says, I don't want this. Because God will then take us on a journey that will then rid that from out of our lives. And often when things that we want to work through, we may fall over, but we just pick ourselves up and go, I don't want this, God. Renew in me a clean heart. One of my psalms that I've been, often I'll pray on my way to work, God created me a clean heart. You know, the, 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 the one that the psalmist had. Because I know the inner man, and I don't like my inner man sometimes. I don't like myself sometimes because of who I am. But I know that as I bring it before God and say, God, too many times I listen to the flesh but I want to be a man of the Spirit. Help me. Help me to be that man that you created me to be because I want to be positioned in a place that can be used for your glory and your honor, for your kingdom, to impact others. And so I just want to finish with James chapter 3, verse 13. Here's a real gem. This is a gem tucked away. Just one verse. James chapter 3, verse 13. And I, I am reading from uh, the NLT. It says this, if you are wise and understand God's way, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom with God. What a great passage. That, that you know, be wise. If we understand God's way, let's live it. And that's our heart's desire as Christians is to live that way. And to do good works, that's what we all desire. And so therefore... Um, today I just felt that you know there is a balance when it comes to sin in our life. We can stand with confidence, but let's have the humility of the tax collector without beating ourselves up. So may God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.